And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting. With Dominic Stern and Nicholas Hodell, this is the College Basketball Bonanza. And welcome into the College Basketball Bonanza in this mid-May edition as we introduce you to the second round of our all-time Cinderella bracket later on in the program. A special guest also later on in the program. Uh, but for now, I'm Nicholas O'Dowd. Dominic Stern is alongside me. And of course, other than our own all-time Cinderella tournament, there's been plenty of news that's going on in the world of college basketball. We'll get right to it. Uh, as ESPN events announced their fields uh, in their college basketball tournament, their multi-team events. Of course, six of them associated with ESPN events. The now Shriners Children's Charleston Classic, the Myrtle Beach Invitational, the NIT season tip-off. The now ESPN event invitation in Orlando, the Paycom Wood Legacy, and the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic. And there was a lot of intrigue, uh, particularly the ESPN events invitational field with Kansas and Alabama headlining. But you also have another power conflict opponent in Miami of Florida. But I wrote this field really is really enticing for me is the storylines of the mid major programs. You have Belmont, you have Dayton, Drake, Iona, North Texas. This is a really darn good field, in my opinion. And I, I don't think it really matters how you bracket it, uh, with, with the exception of you better get a Kansas-Alabama final if you can get it. You're going to have great first-round matchups pretty much no matter how you set this thing up. Right. It's all about the, uh, the mixture of mid-majors and, of course, the Power Six conference teams. And they did it perfectly here in this MTE and yeah, like you mentioned, Alabama and Kansas, they're the two top-notch teams in this MTE. So you do want them to be on opposite sides and hope that they do face off in the championship for, of course, the best ratings possible. And ideally, you want to line it up so that the first round, it's a power six team against a mid-major team just to, you know, say, hey, you know, mid-major is what you're, if you think you got a good team this year, this is what it's going to be like come March. Here you go. Here's a good test for you. If you do it, you get rewarded with another, you know, uh, good slot game against probably another Power 5 team. And all of a sudden, this tournament gets really interesting. So I think it's going to be fascinating. It'll also be funny if they put Iona up against Alabama again. Yeah, and and not only does the, the winners of those first-round games get another game against a, a Power 5 opponent, should the bracket work out, of course, obviously there are times when those upsets do happen, you also get added exposure. Since typically the winners bracket games, they do get on the better networks. And I and that is where this these MTEs, they play a huge part for these mid-major programs in particular, getting the added exposure. And with Kansas in particular, uh, the big news for Kansas, they are uh, should Remy Martin not go to the NBA draft, they'll be picking up Arizona State transfer Remy Martin. Uh, and really what was more key news. And I really think that. Remy Morton's going to have a huge spotlight. He had that spotlight at MTEs uh, with Arizona State. Uh, I really think now that he's going to move into the Big 12, he's going to get to play in the Champions Classic. Uh, on that, in that event, that is tradition this year, Kansas taking on Michigan State. And really, in this MTE as well, he's going to get a ton of exposure. Just that comes with the Kansas basketball program. Right, and this was a perfect... Uh, transfer spot for, for Remy Martin to go to a bigger school that he's going to have a chance to compete for a national title. Cause you know, you and I, we both good Arizona state. We both enjoyed watching Remy Martin play, 
was ASU ever going to win a national championship with Remy Martin? No, it's just not the way the roster was constructed. And we all thought ASU was going to have a better season than they were this past year. They didn't. It happens. But the fact of the matter is now he's going to be having capable bigs, uh, you know, a more capable coaching staff and much better players on the outside to go along with him. And I'm really excited to see what Remy Martin is going to be able to do. It's going to be a little bit better of competition in the Big 12, just a little bit. The Pac-12 was obviously a very good conference as well, and that showed in March this past year. And he also just fits a need. You know, we saw with what Devon Dotson did in his first two years at Kansas, primarily with that 2019-20 team. He was so good. He was that speedy guard that could handle the ball, you know, could shoot it from the outside a bit, which is what Ray Vernon also does. But on the 2020-21 team, they didn't have that guy. And now they have that back with Remy Martin. And I think this team has a very high potential ceiling. And I know that a couple of our friends at ASU who are also from Kansas and big supporters of the Jayhawk, Ryan Blank and Gabe Sports, were super ecstatic about this transfer landing. And they still get to support Remy Martin. And I know that the Sun Devil, um, the Inferno, will still be supporting him at Kansas. By the way, you want to talk about a program that knows – uh, what Remy Martin can do to a team if you're not prepared for him. The Kansas Chiefs. Oh, yeah. I mean, what ASU Lost to him twice. Yeah. Uh, and I really think that that Kansas program knew uh, that when Remy Martin got to that portal, they better pick him up. And I really think that Kansas, they, they took that to heart. You know, they're just like, all right, you beat us. We want you on our side now. And I really think that's going to be a really good player uh, we'll, we'll get to a lot more of uh, what he's going to be able to bring to Kansas when we do our preview shows uh, several months out. But, yeah, that is big news, and he's going to get a lot of exposure, particularly with the ESPN events invitational and field. Nick, is this Kevin Durant 2.0? Oh, no, I'm just gosh. kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, let's move on here. It's obviously, the ESPN events invitation really took the headlines um, of this um, and I know for you in particular, uh, the Paycom Wooden Legacy of San Diego State really picked up your headlines. But when I looked at this field today uh, with the likes of Georgetown and USC and also St. Joseph's, to me, I feel like this is a field that could potentially fly under the radar a little bit as to what the type of teams are that you're going to get. Uh, San Diego State obviously brings together pretty stern, solid teams on a near annual basis. Georgetown, what they did in the Big East tournament, they'll be able to pick up some of those headlines going into Wooden Legacy. And a program like USC, who is really starting to pick up steam where it's becoming a very competitive Pac-12 conference. I really think that, that this mixture of ingredients is going to set up for a really good tournament. Yeah, it's going to be a four exciting games. I mean, St. Joe's is very clearly the bottom of the four teams in this conference. Georgetown brings that potential. And we'll see where USC is. Obviously, they they lost Evan Mobley, who's one of the greatest players to ever touch their program. He was astounding, and he was so fun to watch and, of course, led them to the Elite Eight. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, San Diego State, which, of course, is my my hometown team. I support them. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not exactly buying what the current roster construction is. It just feels so guard-heavy, and there's not enough wings on the team, but – they're going to be an interesting team, and they've brought in a couple of really key transfers. USC also got Boogie Ellis, a former five-star recruit, as a transfer. So it should be four really exciting games, and the Wooden Legacy uh, Classic is nothing new to the San Diego State and USC program. 
and then Georgetown and St. Joe's, two pretty reputable uh, East Coast programs coming across to the West Coast to play in an MTE. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah, and I, I and I know really firsthand um, what that tournament um, really means for San Diego State when they get a chance to play. Uh, to play. Um, I remember going to the Wooden Legacy uh, on, on, a, uh, on a Thanksgiving trip um, in 2013 when San Diego State played Creighton. And I remember walking into the gym of Cal State Fullerton when this was in the, an 18 field. Uh, this is the year when ASU was in there. So, so keep in mind, I was, I was sitting to watch this, the, the next game, uh, the ASU game. We decided to get there early uh, to see what San Diego State and Creighton had. And my God. I did not believe my eyes when this small gym was packed and it really was, you know, San Diego state really that kind of took control of that gym. It was loud. It was a raucous atmosphere. And of course me being 13 years old and being completely clueless to anything. I, I was just right in front of the San Diego state student section, just kind of taking in the that. Show, the show's wild and <laughs> they, they travel well. I mean, they, they make their trips out to uh, to Fresno State every year. They make their trips out to UNLV. Sometimes they'll make it out to uh, to New Mexico. And I know for a fact that they will be in Wells Fargo Arena, or I guess it's not Wells Fargo Arena anymore. I forget what it's even called. They'll, they'll be in the bank when San Diego State's facing off against ASU this upcoming year. Uh, it's going to be a very conflicting game for me. But the fan base is very passionate out here, and it's become even more passionate ever since the C-Words left town. So uh, we love our Aztecs basketball. We don't have an NBA team here, and we love this team. And that team in 2014 ended up making the Sweet 16. It's one of the two teams in program history to make it that far, as well as the 2011 team with Kawhi Leonard. So that that team, led by Xavier Thames, was a ton of fun to watch. Yeah, the other thing I remember, too, is just seeing after that game was over, just how fast that gym cleared out uh, for the small crowd that would be the ASU game. And we just ended up sitting right in front of the, front of the bench. I think it was my, I want to say it was my dad and my brother and I. I think it was the three of us that went. But anyway, such a, such great memories. And I'm sure that that wooden legacy will be fantastic as sitting goes to in as well. But something else um, on, on, on Friday morning, per John Rothstein's sources, the Hall of Fame tip-off first-round matchups, Villanova versus Tennessee, Purdue versus North Carolina. And you want to talk about all the storylines that are going to be in that 14 field. It is going to be a heck of a tournament. I mean, you look at the future of the North Carolina program, uh, what Phil Nova will bring to the table, what Purdue will bring to the table, uh, where Tennessee goes after a pretty solid campaign last season. That's going to be a fantastic 14 field. Yeah, and it's a, it's a change because normally in that tournament you're seeing – or not tournament, but you're seeing – Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Michigan State, the teams like that, you know, the Blue Bloods. And we see those teams all the time. We don't need to see them on the biggest stage uh, right at the start and get them overhyped like they always do every single year. And ultimately half those teams end up disappointing because that's just naturally what the Blue Bloods do. And it's hilarious. But uh, this year they're giving the opportunity to a couple of other teams. And I think that's really cool. Hopefully they don't follow in the footsteps and disappoint, but I'm excited for those four. Uh, so going back to the rest of the ESPN events uh, fields, going back to uh, the Charleston Classic, Myrtle Beach Invitation, the NIT season tip-off, Diamond Head Classic, uh, certainly some decent fields with storylines here. Uh, which one of those four do you think is flying under the radar as a sneaky good field? 
I think I like the NIT season tip-off with Iowa State, Memphis, Virginia Tech, and Xavier. I think you're talking about four teams who are tournament caliber teams. You know, they're, they're not teams that are going to wow you. I mean, Iowa State has been there in the past. Memphis has really been there in the past. And Xavier, of course, is always a tournament caliber team now in the Big East. But Virginia Tech's been the best team as of late out of these four programs. And, I mean, Xavier is obviously up there as well, too. But Virginia Tech's made the last three tournaments – uh, at one point being a four seed and being a tip in a way from uh, taking down Zion Williamson and uh, three other five-star recruits. I don't know why I'm blanking on their names. RJ Barrett and the dude on the Hawks. Oh, I I'm, I'm angering myself by forgetting his name. Cam Reddish. Thank you. Uh, thanks Tom's brain. So, uh, you know, you're getting four high quality caliber programs that all recruit that all get transfers that are all relevant on the college basketball world the NIT season tip-off will be in the Barclays Center, so obviously a big stage for those four programs, and it should be exciting for them. Yeah, I, I really look at the Charlotte Children uh, Charleston Classic field and see a lot of intrigue as well. Obviously, when you get West Virginia in an event, I think that's going to raise some eyeballs So what the West Virginia program's done uh, as of late. Uh, we'll see what Clemson brings to the table uh, as well. I think that could potentially be of intrigue. I look at Marquette as well in this field, um, what is Marquette going to be able to do uh, with Smart, with Shaka Smart? I think that is going to be very interesting. And I think that the first look will be in this field. And you also have Ole Miss in here, Boise State in here. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of really good intrigue uh, out of this field. And I really think that they also have one of the best MTE logos uh, of the bunch as well. And they redid their logo to include the Shiner's Children's uh, sponsorship i love that logo um as someone that looked into that stuff somewhat seriously uh love yeah. love what that's headed as well was about to say that's not something that i uh that i tend to pay a ton of attention to good on you for uh for evaluating the logos but uh one i haven't seen it in two it's not something i i, I put as much attention into and and you know what that's okay you know what that's okay too um uh, and, and some of the other tournaments as well the myrtle beach invitational uh, Oklahoma being in there, Utah State, we'll, we'll see some intrigue as well. Some a few other mid-majors as well. Davidson also in there. And the Diamondhead Classic, obviously Hawaii is in there. BYU is in there. Uh, and Stanford and Vanderbilt make up the power conference opponents. Liberty also being in there, uh, depending what kind of matchup Liberty gets. I will be very intrigued to see where, how Liberty does in the Diamondhead Classic uh, around Christmas time. Uh, but to move on now to our all-time Cinderella tournament, the first round is over, and we have our regional semifinals, and it was all the top three seeds in the respective regions advancing. Two of the five seeds uh, advanced as well, the 2021 Oregon State team and also the 2016 Syracuse team uh, beating the respective four seeds. Uh, and you really have a lot of uh, intrigue uh, in here, and we'll start with the Slipper Regional uh, the uh, first off, the 85 Villanova team and the 2021 Oregon State team. That's going to be fascinating. Uh, the other 2021 Pac 12 team, UCLA, taking on the 1990 Loa Marymount team. And we actually have a special treat for you here on the Bonanza today, since we have uh, someone that knows what's going on currently within the uh, Loa Marymount program. And of course, the current state of the program, you could consider very, very strong uh, as a team that really last year was really making all sorts of history. Uh, in particular, their game against Portland by a 25-point spread, the largest conference win since the 1990-91 team. And you also have 
uh, in this past year, the first top three record in the West Coast Conference of the 2005-06 campaign and a winning record in conference for the first time since the 2011-2012 season. And year one, LMU head coach Dan Johnson has something very much building in the program. And we are so happy to have him join us today. Coach, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So before we get into all of the, the, the Cinderella stuff and looking back at the 1990 run team, obviously you have done an incredible job of building the program in your first year, uh, getting Laura Marymount uh, to really great heights in the West Coast Conference. The program had not experienced for quite some time. So when you look for your roster, what are the traits that you look for uh, when building your team? Well, I mean, you know, for us, it's, it's, it's all about building the right culture and, you know, for us, culture is the people. So it, it starts with, with good people. And um, I've been very fortunate to be in the business for a long time. And I've been around some organizations where you don't have, you know, great people. And I've been around someone you have, you know, really, really good ones. And, and when you have great people, then you, in my opinion, you have a chance for those people to become great at what they do. And I believe those things go hand in hand. You know, every time you uh, can focus on basketball and, and winning the things that go into winning rather than always dealing with some crises uh, or things that take you away from the game or academics, you know, then you lose your focus. So for me, that's what it's all about. It's, it's surrounding ourselves and, and, and having great people in our organization that, that give us the best chance to win. Yeah. And, and, and I saw some of what you had already built when you had, uh, got into the job, uh, some of the assistants you built, um, the, the three of them in particular are having combined for 32 postseason bursts and 25 conference championship teams. And I really think that that is definitely a culture that you really uh, set out to do. Uh, is, is that something that well, when you talk to recruits, is, is that something they really cite? Yeah. You know, I mean, again, for me, I, I, I believe in a culture of collaboration and um, I, I have no uh, desire to be the smartest guy in the room. Uh, I, I want to have a, a place where, um, you know, I'm always around people that can make me better. And, and when I was seeking assistant coaches, that's what I was looking for. I didn't want yes men. I wanted guys that have been in the trenches, guys who have been in the seat, guys that could recruit and teach um, at a high level, uh, guys that have had great success and guys that have, you know, seen what the bottom looks like, too. And uh, I'm very fortunate to have this staff. I think I've got one of the best staffs in the country and uh, it's paid dividends and uh, our kids have bought into it. Um, and, you know, they're the, the beauty of having a good staff, especially when they're helping the players, when the players see themselves getting better, right. It, it, it all makes sense, you know, so I'm, I'm very happy to, to be surrounded by the assistance that I have in our program. Yeah. And I'm sure Dom can really say also just how important a good staff can be. Yeah, it, it is. And you talked about, building the culture and collaborating with your staff and with your players. And I was wondering, the WCC is a very rigorous conference. You got teams that play at a high pace, you got teams that play at a low pace. They've got big teams and you've got small teams. So how do you, your staff and your players really find a way to game plan and stay level-headed because you have to game plan for a lot in that conference? Yeah, this is a great league. This is a coaches league. I um, mean, geez, we, we've got a hall of famer in the league and, and Mark Few. Um, and we've got some coaches, whether it's Herb Sendek, uh, Randy Bennett, you know, Lorenzo Romar. I mean, you've got some guys that have been at a really high level uh, that are doing a great job 
um, at their current institutions. Then you have the up and comers. I tell people all the time, I, I believe we've got some guys in this league where a few years from now, people are going to go, wow, you know, that dude's a star. And there's quite a few of them. And a lot of those guys are doing great jobs at their place. So this is a coach's league. He's got great players. And, you know, for us, it, it's all, everything is about what we do. And uh, it, we focus on us. Uh, the competition is already good enough, yeah, but we, we focus on ourselves and, and, and making sure that there's three things that we do well. Number one, we, we want to be well-conditioned. We want to be well-prepared and our best competitors play. And for me, that's, those are the three things. Are we well-conditioned? Uh, are we well-prepared? And are we playing our best competitors? And I think if you start there, all those other things, um, you know, kind of take care of themselves. Right. And you mentioned Mark Few and Gonzaga, and we, they're obviously one of the best programs in the nation. I was wondering, what, what is the game plan going up against one of the best teams in the country with also one of the best coaches? Um, those guys are terrific. But in our program, every game's a big game. And we don't change anything because we're going to play Gonzaga. We don't. We don't change anything because we're going to play Pacific or San Francisco or BYU. Uh, every game's a big game. And that's how you have to treat it. And, you know, Gonzaga's elite. What Coach Few has done is incredible. Um, they deserve all the recognition in the world. Um, but for us, that's, that's really, you know, not our focus, you know. But to beat teams like that or any good teams, you got to play your best. And, you know, I tell our guys all the time, that the best teams don't win. You know, that's, that's not how it is. It's, it's the team that plays the best that day that wins. And oftentimes people are beat before they even play these guys because, you know, you just assume all well, the best teams win. No, it's the team that plays the best for 40 minutes that win. And, you know, that's that's our model. It's kind of how we do things. And it, it's what I want our, our team to buy into. Yeah, and I think a lot of Cinderella teams in the past have definitely sort of bought into that sort of thinking uh, to try to connect really uh, the present in the past. Obviously, the transfer portal has had such a huge impact uh, on the sport of college basketball. Obviously, uh, you haven't had a ton of, of, of experience of, of building rosters pre-portal compared to post-portal, but how would you say the transfer portal has changed how coaches uh, have had to build rosters? I think, you know, moving forward, I don't know if you can, you know, back in the day, not even back in the day, I mean, a few years ago, you would, you could say, hey, this is what our roster is going to look like in year two, and we're going to set it up for year three. And when we get to year four, this, you know, now I, I think it's, it's not really about building um, this great program. It's about building great teams. And, and that's going to be year to year. And, you know, that's not going anywhere, you know? So I think if, if you can consistently build, you know, really good teams, um, then you give yourself a chance to win, but it, it's more of a year to year approach than it is thinking that, well, he's going to come back because he's a junior. Well, there's a chance he may not be back, you know, and I don't think that's going anywhere. So I think the days of building these great programs and thinking, you know, two years and three years and four years ahead, uh, it, it, those days are gone. It's more year to year now. Yeah. And I, I really think that that is definitely sort of an attitude that many coaches have uh, taken to and, of course, when you came in and re, re, really reading up on how you were trying to really build that team, uh, Mateus Marcuson was one guy you had cited as 
someone that, that really had to really come in. And I, and I really think that that is exactly where things are going. Uh, so to move on really more toward uh, our Cinderella tournament, I was a 1990 Loyola team, a three seed into the second round, uh, a very tough match, I must say, against the, the UCLA team of this past year. Uh, but for a, from a roster building standpoint, what are the traits that a Cinderella team must have in order to be a successful Cinderella and win a couple of games against a, uh, really good opponents? Well, there's two things that stick out to me. Number one, um, you got to be older. You know, you, you want to get old. And, and that's the thing in college basketball. If you can find a way to get old and stay old, uh, you have a chance to win. Two, you have to have elite shooting. And if you can shoot the ball and uh, you have experience, you got a chance every game you go into. And I think that team, uh, you saw the points they put up. Well, those guys could really score. And they had guys that could really spray the, you know, they could shoot the, the heck out of the basketball. So uh, those are the two things that, for me, stand out. Obviously, there's a lot of things that go into winning a game. You got to be able to play defense and, and all those things. But I, I think if you have the experience uh, and you combine that with elite shooting, you have a chance to be a very good Cinderella team. And I really think that the experience point you mentioned isn't just for Cinderella teams, it's also for championship teams. And I'm sure Dom will uh, take, um, take it from here for a little bit, but I really think that the experience, it's a factor all across the board. Right. And I was wondering if you ever talk about this uh, Cinderella run in 1990 with any of your players, you know, trying to inspire them or whatnot, or with any recruits saying like, hey, we've done this in the past and I want you to be able to, possibly help us get back to the NCAA tournament and maybe create some own history here at Loyola Marymount? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we, we certainly use it uh, in recruiting at times. And, um, you know, we, we, we touch on it. Uh, there's a banner that, that hangs in our arena that I make our guys look at. We talk about every day. I mean, those are the places we want to go. Um, but, you know, I think here for too often, we, we've lived in the past. And um, I'm trying to move us forward. You know, I'm, I'm glad those things happen. I'm glad we have one of the best teams in college basketball. But, um, you know, I want to add to that legacy. How can we make Bo Kimball proud and Jeff Fryer and uh, Hank Gathers? How can we honor his legacy? Well, it's been a long time since we've been there. And we want to get back. And, um, you know, that's our, that's our goal. And, and, and those guys have given us a great blueprint for that. Right. And you're talking about transitioning into the future – where, where do you see the program in the next five years and what do you have to do to get there? Well, you know, certainly, you know, I, I don't know if I've, like I said, I've, I've looked five years down the line, but, you know, holistically, you know, I want this to be a place where number one, uh, it's seen as a winner and, and people respect uh, our name and the brand. And um, it, it's a program that is uh, stable and consistently competing at the top of our league and not only the top of the league I want this to be a program that competes nationally you know those are the two things that I, I want to have happen and if you're competing at the top of our league that that probably means you're competing nationally and that's what I want for our program is is to be a place where uh, you know whether regardless whether you're on the east coast west coast the south you know what LMU is you understand who we are and you understand that, hey, this is a basketball program and a place that I can go and, and have great success. Yeah, 
that, and, and I really think that in a league with the Gonzaga Bulldogs in there and just how well they are year in and year out, I think that getting to the top of that conference is going to be going through them. Uh, and re- real quickly before we let you go, um, the, uh, the, the dead period that has been such a, a long factor through the pandemic era, it is finally ending soon. Is that going to change in any, any of the ways that you uh, evaluate prospects? Well, I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, we finally, our staff for the first time, we get to evaluate some guys in person. You know, I mean, so much of this has been on film and, you know, through the phones and Zoom and thank goodness for that. But nothing beats in-person evaluation and nothing beats being there with a the kid and seeing how he does when the chips are up, the chips are down, uh, adversity, you know, after they've played X amount of games in a day, you know, all those things, you know, help you uh, understand who a kid is a little more, you know, so we're, we're looking forward to that. Um, being able to just be out, you know, and, and connect with people, you know, there's nothing like the human connection and, and zoom is great, but when people can get in your presence, you, they get a better feel for you and you certainly get a better feel for them. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to that in-person touch, uh, which we believe will, will add even great, greater value to what we're doing. Um, so, uh, and one last thing, obviously we could go back now to the 1990 uh, Loyola Marymount team currently in the slipper regional semifinals. Um, is there any case that, that you could uh, make out to our listeners of uh, why the, the 1990 Loyola Marymount Lions is the all-time Cinderella? Well, I mean, I mean, the best case you could make, look how many points they scored, right? I mean, who's ever scored that amount of points in a college game? You know, the way they played, uh, how dynamic they were the type of points they put up, their offense. I mean, they really changed the game. Talk about being ahead of the game. You know, that team was way ahead of the game. Uh, You know, you talk about uh, now where analytics people are talking about layups and, and threes. Well, that was, that was them. You know, they would beat you at the rim or they were getting threes, you know? So those guys, I mean, the amount of points they scored up, they, they put up per game. I don't think anybody's touched. And for that, I think they have every case of being the best Cinderella team of all time. Yeah. And of course, national records and points per game, about 122 points per game. It's a, a really just huge number in the grand scheme of college basketball. Um, Little Marymount coach Dan Johnson uh, certainly hope for the best for the program going forward. And we hope to talk to you again at some point. Thank you so much for joining us here on the College Basketball Bonanza. Awesome, man. You guys are doing a great job. Thanks for having me and uh, wish you all the success moving forward. Obviously, a very special treat for us having a Division One head coach on for the first time here on the College Basketball Bonanza. Let's get back now to the Slipper Regional and talk about these matchups in depth. Um, the 2-3 matchup, the 2021 UCLA, 1990 Lua Marymount. This was our 8-9 overall seed matchup. So this is a very tough uh, matchup and it, and it goes right to plan here uh, in this region, but you got a lot of different factors here. And I do like what coach Johnson uh, mentioned uh, earlier on about the different, uh, the style that Lua Marymount played and how much they scored. And that is something that still is not replicated in college basketball. I don't think it ever will be. Uh, and I really think there's a lot of history there uh, with that team. Obviously, uh, last week we mentioned the story of that team. Uh, really fantastic stuff there. 
And then the first four to final four run in the 2020 UCLA Bruins. This is a very good matchup here, I think. It is. And you're, you're going to get a team from LA County uh, going on into the, uh, the final of this region. And it's very conflicting for me because, I mean, I know who I'm going to vote for in the other matchup in this Liberty Regional, but I'm really going to have to think hard uh, between LMU and UCLA because obviously this UCLA run was recent. So the recency bias is going to be running through people, but I think when you really think about it, everything that went around that LMU program heading into the tournament, just how special that tournament run was. Yeah, and of course, you can vote on Twitter at College Bonanza. The Slipper Region will be the first region of polls to come out on Sunday. So you're going to want to make sure you make your voice heard in that. Um, and of course, number one overall seed, the 85 Villanova team and the 2021 Oregon State Beavers. That's the Slipper Regional semifinals that will be on Sunday. On our Twitter, at College Bonanza, you're going to want to follow us there. It is the only place you can make your voice heard, so please do that. Uh, and we will um, move on, really, uh, to the Miracle Region, um, featuring the number two overall seed, the 1983 NC State Wolfpack, uh, as they will take on the 2013 Wichita State Shockers. End up being a very close matchup there between uh, Loyola Chicago and Wichita State. Uh, I do believe it was decided on a very slim margin there. The 2-3 battle that will take place, 2014 UConn, 67-Dayton. It's going to be a real intriguing matchup of these differences of eras. Um, and when you really get into a situation where now you have uh, these eras colliding, and I think that's one of the great um, debates of this tournament, you know, the era of the modern era, the era of the preceding. Uh, I really like where this is headed here. Yeah, you get this in both matchups. So obviously 2013 and 2014 with Wichita State and then UConn. And then you're getting the oldest uh, the oldest team in this bracket with Dayton. And then you're getting just the classic, uh, the Jimmy V running on the court, like I mentioned in our episode previewing everything. There's like four highlights before the show every single March Madness game. You get the Chris Jenkins buzzer beater. You get the Christian Leitner fadeaway. You get the Jim Valvano running on the court after his sixth seed NC State on the national team. And then, you know, then really just something else relating to uh, one of the games leading up to the tournament. So, I mean, you, you just, you think of the classic, I wouldn't, you know, I, I think NC State's going to cruise through the semifinal matchup, but UConn Dayton's going to be really entertaining. Yeah, it really will be. And of course, the, who can forget the Jim Falfano running down the court, looking for someone to hug fantastic scenes there. Uh, really all around. Uh, that particular region's polls will be on Monday. Uh, it is the same exact schedule as last week for polls. Uh, so the Slipper Regional on Sunday, the Miracle Regional on Monday, Tuesday, the Fairy Tale Regional. Uh, and this is a region where it did go chalk. Uh, and it does bring some very intriguing matchups to the table. Uh, the third 2021 entrant, Oral Roberts, the fourth seed going against the 86 LSU Tigers. And then the 2-3 matchup, 2013 Florida Gulf Coast, 2011 Butler. Uh, and this came out, this was a 6-11 overall seed matchup uh, with FGCU being the two seed over in, the, in this region, six seed overall. And I really think that there's going to be a lot of intrigue in this region, uh, particularly in that Florida Gulf Coast team. I will be very curious to see um, if, if they could go on to win this region. I, I think they have a very, very good shot. Uh, to at least get by the 2011 Butler team. And then if it is the 86 LSU Tigers, they match up against the regional final. I am going to be very interested to see who comes out on top there. 
I happen to know someone who will be voting against the Florida Gulf Coast uh, Cinderella run because they, of course, beat a, uh, someone's favorite team in that in that Cinderella run. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll take a team that went to the uh, the national championship over them. But yeah, the, 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 there's a lot of great matchups here because, yeah, you get that Florida Gulf Coast team that had the precedent. They were the first ever 15 seed to win two games in the NCAA tournament. And you have a Butler team that, you know, was not, not a great team entering the tournament. Uh, they coming off a year where they had lost a ton of talent and they made it to back-to-back NCAA championships. Then you're getting Oral Roberts, who of course was the second 15 seed to make it to uh, the third round of the NCAA tournament. And like uh, our friend Keith, uh, he, he hammered it on the head. They were inches away for moving on to the elite eight. Of course, I, an Arkansas final four backer was very thankful that shot didn't go in off, off of Max Amos, but they were a fantastic team. And then you have LSU who also set precedent, the first 11 seed to go to the final four. I mean, you get a lot of history in this, uh, in this region and you, you really can't go wrong with any of these teams in my honest opinion. Yeah. I really think you are dead on in that assumption. And I really think that, all of these teams have legitimate cases uh, if you insert them in other regions uh, to get to uh, region finals, uh, unless they are matching with the one seed. In this case, 2021 Oral Roberts is. I really think all these guys have cases uh, to really go on uh, to the uh, regional final there. So that'll be a tough one um, for our future to decide over on Twitter at College Bonanza on Tuesday. And you want to talk about matchups. Uh, how about the two, three matches in the ballroom region, which we decided on Wednesday uh, through Twitter polls, the 2018 UMBC retrievers and the 2006 George Mason Patriots. You know, I was, when I, when I was looking at where we decided these brackets, I was really salivating, hoping we would get this matchup. And sure enough, here it is. Yeah. I'll take this opportunity to once again, remind people that I bet on UMBC when they beat Virginia on the spread. It was on the spread, but $20 is $20. So I once again remind people that I bet on history uh, and that a lot of people probably didn't, but I did. Uh, but yeah, going up against George Mason, another 11 seed to make the final four. The top seed in this region, of course, was the first 11 seed to come out of the first four. Of course, that was the first, uh, the first time we'd ever seen that and make it to the final four. And they're going, they're going up against the 10 seed who went to the final four. It should be a very easy decision between the voters to, past VCU over Syracuse, it just really shouldn't be up for that much discussion. But the UMBC-Georgia Mason matchup, you're talking about one of the most interesting matchups for uh, all of this. I think it's a great matchup. Yeah, it really is. And I would not be shocked personally uh, if, our, if our listenership uh, that votes on Twitter puts one of those two in the fi- in, uh, to win the region, uh, quite frankly, when it comes time for the regional final next week. I would not be shocked um, to, to see that. Oh, really? I, I really think that there is potential for either 2018 UMBC or 2006 George Mason uh, to get that job done. Uh, and and I, it wouldn't surprise me. It, it would not, uh, quite frankly, to see where that goes. I think that if, if, there, if there is a, a, three, a three C that can do it, one is the Loyola Marymount team to talk about earlier, and then there's UMBC team. I think that those are the two three seats that I'm really honing in on, uh, not just to get by, the regional semifinals uh, in the case of the UMBC team to get to the final four and win the region. I would not be shocked at all 
uh, if we see a scenario where that happens, uh, quite frankly. Uh, but of course, uh, this particular uh, tournament, uh, through round one, it's delivered, I really, I think. I think it's delivered some of the uh, good matchups that we were hoping for uh, out of round one and now into the second round, the regional semifinals. Uh, I really think we have a special, special uh, voting period ahead over the next few days, which you can do on Twitter, at College Bonanza. Please follow us there. And of course, also give us, give an opportunity uh, to really have your voice heard. Uh, of course, your vote could very well make a difference in who advances and who does not. So take a chance to do that over the course of this next week. And that will do it for this edition of the College Bachelor Bonanza. Our, our thanks goes out to Loyola Marymount coach Dan Johnson for joining us. And for Dominic Stern, I'm Nicholas Hodel. Have a very good week, and we'll see you next time on the College Bachelor Bonanza on your preferred podcast platform.